call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 45 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watch Ken Loach's 1995 Spanish Civil War film, Land and Freedom. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friend of Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, or any or all of the above. Please send any questions or recommendations to callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram. No pasarán! What have you been watching, dude? Well, I've watched a number of things. How many do you have? I've got two films. Okay, I have five, and the one we're supposed to be watching. Yeah, I wasn't counting that one. I've got two films, and the one we're supposed to be watching. Okie doke. Any shows, or you haven't finished them? Shows, yeah, but nothing worth mentioning, because they're just... Well, we can start with that. Did you watch the first episode of Ted Lasso? Oh, is it out? Yeah, it was released today. Season Uh 2, episode 1. No, but I did watch all of season one in uh, two days. Well, now you'll be ready. Yes, I am ready. But also, I mean, I love the quality of Apple shows, but this weekly release model is going to just torture me. It's only 30 minutes of content I love, and then I have to wait a week. Eh, I made it through season two of Mythic Quest without any problems. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, that was just such a big highlight in my week, just rewatching Ted Lasso again. I mean, like I said, it's the same universe as Paddington, just tearfully happy most of the way through. And you know what? It deals with some gnarly shit as well. Did you rewatch season one before watching this? No, I, I started, I watched the first episode of season one again, and then I was like, okay, realistically, I'm not going to get through all 10. So I went back and watched key scenes, like the dart scene that I think we talked about before. I mean, yeah. it's just, I watched the really He has a panic ones. attack. Do you remember that? He has a panic attack outside the karaoke. Is that what, uh, during his divorce proceedings? Is that what it is? Is that what? Uh, His wife is waiting for him to sign the divorce papers, yeah. And he also, um, he also uh, chews Nate out of it. uh, Yeah, yeah. God damn, that's a good show. You know what's not, which I've just fucking given up on, is uh, Twin Peaks. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I hate it so much. (laughs) Fuck it. Have you watched the. Did you watch Twin Peaks or, or have you ever seen Twin Peaks The Return? Did you watch it before? No, this is just... this is what I had been building up to. I had never watched the second yeah, series because I've I, heard of surely it's, it's shit and it is. Just to, surely it's worthwhile just to watch Twin Peaks The Return. It might be, but Andy, I, you should try to get through some of the latter half of the second season's episodes. They're insane. I pretty much gave up. The last time I was watching Twin Peaks, I gave up around the point where you're giving up. It, like, it's just the plot, which was so engaging in its own sort of way. And you can see as well, they sub in a lot of different writers who maybe didn't get the material or where it was supposed to be going as much. But there's this bizarre subplot about a fashion show. And David Duchovny is a, a drag guy now, which is, you know, it's fine. It's fine. No problem with that. But it's just, yeah, fuck that shit. How was episode one of Ted Lasso season two? Yeah, five of the main characters are killed in the first few minutes. And his character completely changes. He 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 gets into conflict with everyone. 
and just goes oh, off no. in a huff, basically. It's, there's a complete departure. Oh, no. Uh, they're or doing that maybe it's darker just sequel more thing. of the same. No, no, it's just... Uh, it looks like it's pretty much more of the same. They they have tried to inf- uh, include a bit of conflict, but in a slightly different way. And from What's the, the reviews that I've read of... Uh, there's uh, a therapist who has to come in. It's there's all. I mean, it's pretty. There's there's something that happens early on in the episode to uh, Danny Rojas, and then they have to resolve it. But uh, it's interesting. I think uh, from what I've read, it gets better and better as it expands throughout oh. the season. So um, I was skirting like, around looking for a Ted Lasso T-shirts, but the the T-shirt um, market for Ted Lasso is dominated by Danny Rojas. It's all Danny Rojas stuff. Uh, oh, I thought it would be the one that uh, Jason Sudeikis wore the other day. Jason Sudeikis wore a t-shirt the other day? You need to get up on Twitter. Okay, go on. It no, was I don't. Su- it was in support of the England players who missed penalties and then were racially abused. What did it say, I believe? No, it had their names. It had their surnames like Rashford and Sancho and Saka or something. Or I saw some, first names. some fucking Guardian journalist shared this... Um, post during the week showing like uh, the biggest donators um, to charity out of like British rich people or whatever, let's say. Yeah. And they stacked the list by percentage of income donated. Yeah. So number one at the list uh, was um, Rashford because apparently he donates 125% of his income to charity, right? And then as you go down the list, there's much, much more money, but smaller percentages as you go. And you're watching it, and it's supposed to be some big, wokey statement, but you're watching it and going, well, clearly this is why Marcus Rashford uh, doesn't, isn't able to give as much money as these guys, because he's a very bad businessman, because don't give 125% of your money away. So what are you saying that anyway. Mark... Right, okay. I'm saying it's a, it was a stupid bit of journalism. It's just stupid. I also uh, I finished Loki. Ah, okay. I've heard of that. Yes. I was impressed by how little fucks they give for non-comic book readers. Like, really, that's a Matrix Reloaded, the architect kind of ending that, like, your textbook not supposed to do. I can imagine a lot of people were pretty pissed off with it. I'd say it's quite close to the best thing I think Marvel have done, and I like the direction they're going in. I liked it, as I said last week. I had no problem with that. I've never read those comic books, and I guess most of the places I was looking online were explaining what it was anyway. Yeah, I listened to a spoiler special podcast that explained what it was. But, like, yeah, it wouldn't really bother me so much, but, um, yeah, they really just don't care. Another thing that I watched soon after that was I watched a... Bo Burnham's film, 8th Grade, I watched it for the first time, and I don't know whether it's casting actual teenagers or whether recently becoming a father, but this hit me so fucking hard that despite enjoying it and admiring it, uh, this is not one that I'd easily watch again. It's it, like one great observation the film, the film makes, to my eyes, and unique, or at least uniquely well, is that the people who are cool as teenagers, are objectively boring and uninteresting people, and that's what makes them cool to teenagers, which I thought was a really unique kind of observation in the film that I, I think they nailed with the casting of the cool teenagers, etc. But the the part that really just grabbed me is just like, 
oh my god it's so fucking hard being a teenager at least it was for me and like this film just broke my heart for the for the girl in it um really really tough going i remember enjoying it but really it made very little impression on me thinking back on it now i can sort of recall vague imagery of it that girl's good the main actress i saw her in something else which uh, escapes me but I, I I like Bo Burnham. I still haven't watched his new special, but I always enjoy going back and watching that kind of Kanye spoken word rap type of bit that he does at the end of Make Happy and whenever that was, 2016. It's always a good go to. Yeah. Yeah. No, generally speaking, I like, uh, I like, I like what he does. I like the way he moves. Give me what, something you've been watching. Well, I managed to watch one other Kendrick Loach film. I watched 1990's Hidden Agenda. It's interesting that you introduced this with Loki because this is quite similar in a way to some Marvel properties. It's like the Marvel What If series, which is coming up soon. It's like a type of alternate history because in this case, we get to imagine what if the British were the baddies in Northern Ireland? <laughs> so Come on it's basically now. science fiction. I'm being the sad clown here now. Don't force me into that corner. There might be Irish people listening to this. <laughs> It's probably only Irish people listening to this. Uh, in all seriousness, the film is about an American journalist played by Brad Dourif, bizarrely, who's executed alongside an IRA member by an RUC hit squad. His girlfriend's played by a young Frances McDormand. I say young, she's like 33, but she looks super young. And uh, his girlfriend fights to find out why it happened, working together with a British police officer played by Brian Cox. And it's shot in the way that we'll probably be discussing uh, later, is it? Yeah, it's quite naturalistic. It's basically a political thriller with Brian Cox shouting at people for being evil bastards. And you get a real sense of place and time. We get to see an orange march in Belfast, and you also see inside an IRA members club. And it's written by Jim Allen, who wrote Land and Freedom. I think he's written everything he's done um, for a long time. Jim Allen only wrote a couple... Oh, of, so who's uh, the other long-time collaborator then? Paul Laverty. That's Laverty the one, wrote, yes, yeah. has written pretty much everything after Land and Freedom. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the film, it's, the film basically, it's a perfectly serviceable thriller. It's ultimately lacking the necessary twists and turns to leave a, to leave a lasting impact. This is, what, this is what I say about Eighth Grade and Hidden Agenda, which is a typical double bill, <laughs> which I think most people put together. It's a ballsy film for Loach to make in 1990 because it specifically calls out Thatcher and the sitting conservative government of the day as having conspired to illegally overthrow Harold Wilson's Labour government. However, the film was denounced in some quarters as IRA propaganda. I mean, I could see that. Um, it's a ballsy year to make something like that, being a British person. Um, it sounds very high stakes for Ken Loach. It was a strange choice. I sent you uh, a screenshot while I was watching it, which basically said uh, something like, the, similar to the, the scene from Braveheart, it was kind of like, the, the, <laughs> the problem with Scotland Ireland is... Would be, <laughs> Ireland would be a beautiful place if it wasn't for the Irish. There's a number of those English characters who are like, can't we just bloody shoot all these bastards? <laughs> so, which is very believable and then you've got brian cox is like the scottish enforcer who has to come in and be like hey i mean i'm rep i'm representing the the british government here but you know scotland we're the good guys we did nothing wrong we never done nothing wrong we're the goodies 
Yes, yes. I uh, no, no. What? No, 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 no. I don't know. Nothing wrong in Northern Ireland <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the good, the good guys. I can Are there like I know there are anti-IRA films, but there aren't. I can't think of any pro-British films that take place in Northern Ireland. Oof. I mean, that's like right-wing comedy. There's <laughs> not a lot of that <laughs> going around. Uh, Oi. Yeah, yeah. What I don't know what's like a pro UVF film or something. I don't know. What, there must be something. I mean, I, I can. It's not pro at all. But I'm just thinking of like the scene from Train Spotting Two where they have to they go into the into the Orange Club and have to sing the song. There must be something like that. But yeah, it's quite funny. Unironic version of that. Well, I mean, there's something in the pipeline in terms of that regarding the American right. I don't know, do you know this, but Gina Carano is producing a film with oh, Ben God. Shapiro. Oh, Jesus. He's Did not you know this? in it, is he? No. <laughs> it's an anti-gun control film in which uh, Gina Carano plays a gun enthusiast who, like, stops a school shooting. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Good Very time. on the nose, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a bit of a step down from The Mandalorian, if you ask me, but... Um, and as well, just yeah, actively working with Ben Shapiro. I don't really have many Indeed. opinions on ben, Sh- on ben Shapiro. I I was going to watch The Wind That Shakes the Barley, but I didn't manage it. So the only other, this was the only other Ken Loach film that I managed to get watched. And you've never seen uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley? No, I had my fill of IRA propaganda for the week. I already decided that I wanted to kill all the English after the <laughs> agenda. Well, I went with some other type of propaganda. I watched um, The Winter Soldier, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which is pretty great. To that point in the MCU, I'd uh, call Iron Man, The Avengers, and the first hour of the first Avenger, like, and The Winter Soldier, Soldier, the only ones that work well outside the grand narrative. You know, they're just great, Mm. solid films that you could completely revisit any time. The Russos just arrived and nailed the formula of setups and payoffs, and um, that makes the MCU work so well. It's also it's got Gary Shandling whispering "Hail Hydra," (laughs) which is the funniest thing in the in the entire MCU. It's so funny. It's such a misjudged moment, but he's doing the funny. I suppose they're having fun. Him and Robert Redford are the senators. I don't even know where they're senators, but you know, evil characters in suits are senators, and that's just it. Hey, senator. Yeah. Um, it's a good like, level of evil power. Uh, yeah, and Gary Shandling, like just before he whispers "Hail, Hail Hydra," he is literally talking about he's going to me too an intern. Literally, he's just giving this speech. He's like, yeah, we'll see how well she went. He's going to cast and couch this lady. Then he leans into this guy and says, hey, Lydra. it's fucking hilarious. Um, but one thing, one thing I thought as well is it's like with the MCU, despite the crowd they have, if anybody wanted to like read any deeper into them, they're like totally antithetical to like the politics of who you would suppose their audience would be. Like, Captain America, like, and particularly his big showdown at the end of Winter Soldier, that's like the storming of the Capitol. <laughs> I guess Civil War has elements of that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally libertarian. And Thanos is basically the head of Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> there must be whole websites that go through each Marvel film and tie it with modern politics. And I don't know, but I mean... That's a niche right there. Well, superhero movies have a tendency to, like, I mean, they square it up in a way that 
pe- people figure you're not supposed to think, but it just makes sense. Like, for example, um, Bane as the baddie in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, there's no way he's not the head of the Occupy movement. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before. I mean, it just is what it is. Um, let's see, what else? What else did you watch? Well, I also ventured back to the cinema this morning to watch M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Old. This is the one where you go to a beach and you get old, right? There's nothing more needs to be said about the premise than this. People go to a beach and they get old. Is it good? Uh, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian gave it five stars. Will that tell you enough? Wow. I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> there are no gay gangmasters, slave gangmasters or whatever in it. Boo! But, uh, yeah, I know. Sorry. I would a say... Yeah, a pair of. I would say it. So, Shyamalan's last few films have been co-funded by Blumhouse with Jason Blum, and this one yeah. was produced by Shyamalan's own production company and distributed by Universal as part of a two-picture deal. And I read that as him being out of director's jail and able to get yes. stuff made again at bigger studios. But I think this film is should be, in my opinion, closer to sending him back to jail. Oh, really? You didn't like it at all? I thought it it's not terrible, but I'd say it suffers from a classic M. Night lack of restraint. And some of the dialogue is absolutely horrendous. I found myself yeah. laughing throughout at things that weren't supposed to be funny. It's not the happening levels of bad, but it's still not very good. It's just a wasted premise. The premise is solid. It's based on a graphic novel called Sandcastles. And ultimately, it comes away with... It's like a mashup of Lost... And then I almost feel like there's a weird kind of anti-COVID vaccine element to it. I don't know. I would no spoilers, but it's like there's some, I don't know. There's some weird shit going on here as well. Was it shot during the pandemic? It must have been. It was, yeah. It was filmed uh, kind of September to November last year mm. in the uh, in the old <laughs> Dominican Republic. I mean... In a way, you know, he's a writer-director who's out there constantly creating original content, which should be applauded. But in another way, he has made, I'd say it's probably 50-50 at this point with how much of his stuff is like really pants. Yeah, I enjoyed, uh, and we saw Split together in the cinema, I remember, but yes. I quite enjoy Glass or whatever it's called, the the final part of that. I thought, I thought that was good. Uh, people were shitting oh, the, on it a yeah. little bit, but... The third one of the trilogy of Unbreakable Split and then Glaw. Yeah, I liked it. I, 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 I did like it. I thought the ending was insane, though. I liked the insanity of the ending. That was the kind of twist ending that Shyamalan pulls off, or he pulled off back at the start of his career before things went mad. Yeah, but, I mean, it was straight... Right. So, the ending, spoilers, sorry, guys. Is spoilers that, for oh, Glass. Oh, my God. Superheroes are real. And we're going to put these videos out all over the internet. And then these three people, I forget who they are. No, wait, one of them is Samuel L. Jackson's mother, I think. And oh, they're, you mean they're like sitting in a bus station or something, or a train station. Yeah, and they release the very this. end, yeah. And they release, yeah, 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 yeah. And they release this video. It's just, it's not the action, it's the tone of that part is fucking mad. I think that is... That's the only part that I wasn't a fan of. I, I like uh, spoilers for, we've already said spoilers for Glass, but the death of Bruce Willis's character didn't bother me. I thought that was, I enjoyed all of that. 
And I liked yeah. the whole kind of evil, like, or if they're evil, they're like, we need to put down. It's kind of like the boys or something of like a group of people who are like, you know, we need to take down superheroes because they exist and they're real. We, and if they've got this like generations of this huge organization that is responsible for killing these guys. But yeah, those last well, few I- seconds feel like attacked on like Shyamalan was like, I don't know, I guess we just put out like a video leak or something. That'll be the best way to for the for their their loved ones to somehow have a victory at the end. I um I did, all the stuff in the mental hospital I thought was very good. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, so if you'll remember, last week I watched a trio of um highly renowned films from fancy European directors. Do you remember? I do. I watched the next films by those three directors this week. Oh, yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> well, whatever, man. I want to, you know, get yeah, to, I want to have, to have seen things. Shyamalan. Which is, yeah, it's better, you know. Have you seen Lady in the Water? own M. Night Shyamalan. I have not. Yeah, I think that's the only one I haven't seen. Oh, no, wait, I, I haven't what? seen The Happening. You've seen all the shite ones. I've seen The Happening. I haven't watched uh, The Last Airbender or After Earth or any of that nonsense. Oh, no, wait, I haven't seen those two either. Yeah, yeah, okay. There, I'm... You've just edited oh. those completely out of his filmography. I'm sure that's what he would like to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. They just looked shite from every direction. There was no way I was <laughs> yeah. ever going to watch They've them. They've got like, like 10% fresh or, so, or, you know, 10% rotten, whatever the fuck it's called, on Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes. He's, got, he's a mad old yoke because, like, I mean, not only are, um, let's say, the, his first four films are not only, like, really solid premises. Some people have issues with The, the Village. I don't really. I think it's really good. They're not only um, solid premises, but they're really well executed. Like oh yeah, how old, can you go- old has that problem of um he he casts himself in not a major role but it's like it's a role where you're like you couldn't have got someone else couldn't have got <laughs> someone else that night someone who's a bit better at acting he's really not very good yeah um, he's really anyway. not very good at acting yeah tell me about the you the won't have the any interest with uh, these other uh, ones I'm sure but anyway That's I watched I'll Lest- it. I watched La Strada, which is another Fellini film, Ooh. which um, uh, it starts off, man, it's dark uh, as fuck premise uh, where this uh, like dim-witted girl, idiot, uh, they say in the movie or at least in the subtitles, uh, gets sold to a circus strongman who's just an alcoholic brute by her own mother. And she goes on the road for her life with this dude. And it's all very allegorical about, like, you know, just being depressed and alone and just life in general. And, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I know... I know something smarter is going on here, but it's it it's so kind of well put together that I've got a thing where I'm watching something like that and I kind of get distracted by trying to figure out what's happening. Do you know what I mean? But this was just one of those ones where I, ju- I it just got me and I just got into it, and then at the end I was able to think about it, which was good. Um, I thought this was I thought it was a very good film. Uh, that's not quite what happened with the other one I watched, which was the Conformist Bernardo Bertolucci's film. Which is, now let me get this right, this is the story of a young man who was molested as a child, whose father is in a mental institution and whose mother is a junkie, uh, who who enrolls to work in Mussolini's secret police and is assigned to murder an old communist professor while honeymooning in Paris. Uh, Like, it's it's so well put together, generally, the the way he shoots is a big influence on Scorsese, but the, the... 
the thing that didn't happen with Lestrada definitely happened with this because it's just like, ah, you're being so clever and I'm trying to figure it out while I'm watching it. So even though the story is objectively good, if somebody like fucking, I don't know, John Ford had shot it and we had just gotten the noir storyline about him going to Paris and, you know, he ends up fucking the professor's girlfriend and stuff as well. I mean, you know, that's interesting enough. Um, but anyway, whatever. I've seen it now. And the other one, both I then watched... the 50s or? No, uh, The Conformist is from 1970. Um, oh, wow, okay. La Strada is from 1956. And then from 1965, I watched uh, Repulsion, which is Roman Polanski's first English language film. Uh, it's the story of a young oh, French yeah. lady who's living in London with her sister, and she's beautiful and blah, 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 but she's disgusted by sexuality in general. And during two weeks, her sister spends away with her lover. She fucking goes mad. Uh, Polanski and his co-writer based the story... <laughs> And a mutual acquaintance of theirs, uh, who was um, a schizophrenic, which I'm sure she was very flattered by. Uh, the film is disturbingly ahead of its time, but it's effective uh, with the hallucinations and like grotesque imagery they keep re- uh, returning to. It's not as good as the other Polanski I watched from the week before. You should still definitely check out Knife in the Water. I'm sure you'd like it. This one is probably just for fans. Uh, it, but it was the first part in a trilogy, the next one of which is a great movie. I don't know. Have you ever seen Rosemary's Baby? I have. Yeah, so I'm going to be, wa- I'll hopefully be, have the time to watch that in the next week or so. Nice. Anyway, that's been it for me. That's it for me. I watched two other, I watched two episodes of Rick and Morty. It's still good. It's solid. It's worth checking out. That's it. So uh, tell me, how many Ken Loach films have you seen? I have seen. Kez, but not since I was at school. Hidden Agenda this week. Land and Freedom this week. My name is Joe and Sweet Sixteen as a a nice Scottish double bill of alcohol and drugs. Uh, Looking for Eric and I, Daniel Blake for Northern English Misery. Okay, okay. Uh, I have seen Kez, Sweet Sixteen, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, Looking for Eric, Jimmy's Hall, I, Daniel Blake, and now um, Landon Freedom this week. Thing is, we've both seen a fair chunk, but he's so prolific, I don't think we begin to cover his filmography. He's made a lot of movies. This is about, like, half or less than half, maybe. Yeah. And, like, would you be into the Ken Loach that you've seen? Uh, yeah, I mean, Sweet Sixteen was always my favorite. When I, It's weird because Martin Comston, over the years, has now become, to me, the character from Line of Duty, but before that, he was always the he was always the character from Sweet Sixteen, which is where I yeah. mean, he like he went. To, I remember he went to Cannes with that, and he was kind of lauded as like this kid's gonna go far. And then for a few years, he's he'd done a he'd done some roles, but with nothing like huge. And now Line of Duty, which is so weird to me because he's English in it, but he's like one of the most Scottish yeah. people who's ever lived. He's from Greenwich. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've heard him uh, interviewed. He does sound as such. You know, he lives in Las Vegas. Yeah, he lives there with his wife. I saw that. Which is, I uh, think yeah, she's a of, from there. Bit of mad in- I- info. I would say probably Sweet Sixteen is my favorite too. But I like all of the ones I've kind of seen, except for I mean, I think I've only ever seen Kez once, and uh, I would never go back to it because I, I ju- just the idea because the ending is quite memorable. You know, where the older brother kills the bird. I'm just like, why on earth would I ever return to that? Yeah, uh, well, one thing that I, like, so, thinking about all the Ken Loach I've watched, I've probably watched, uh, <laughs> just uh, for sheer uh, fifth, 
uh, fist pumpery, despite the fact that it is a miserable film. I've uh, watched The Wind That Shakes the Barley a, a lot of times, I think. I suppose. I did. I was wondering if that was like a legal obligation for if you're Irish, you have to watch that. Is that like Braveheart? <laughs> what, is the, what is the Irish Braveheart? Is it Michael Collins? It's Michael Collins, yeah. It's Michael mm, Collins. I haven't seen and that then, either. There are contrarians who will argue the political side of it and Michael Collins' legacy as having given up Northern Ireland. But everybody else is just like, will you shut the fuck up and cheer on Michael Collins killing the yeah. Brits? Yeah. Like, Irish, Irish fist pumping is misery. Like, we would not like it if Michael Collins won at the end of that movie, you know? <laughs> and yeah, like, similar to Scotland. You need to lose at the end. It's, uh, it's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. That's what's all yeah. about. Exactly. It might be one of the like like might be one of the, the great failure. the the great strokes of genius of um, train spotting is that he wins by <laughs> fucking people over. That's the only way he wins. That's the only way to win in modern Scotland, even twenty years ago, and to, um, all the way to today. You need to fuck over your friends. It's the only way to get ahead. Well, one thing you I've I, I've uh, observed, let's say in uh, Ken Loach over the years, so he like he's got the. It, Sorry, I'm going to get all snooty here, but I just know things, Andy. Leave me alone. He's got the Italian neorealist uh, thing. Okay, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go, Sorry. Going on in that, like, he, okay, he likes to, you know, film in a rootsy manner and use non-actors, etc., etc. But if you watch any of those early films, except for The Bicycle Thieves, the most famous one, they don't really have such well-rounded stories. I'll say it. People would disagree with me, but I'll, I'll say that. But one thing, I think with Ken Loach, he's all, he always has a good story. And I think yeah. he's just gotten better at making films over the years. It's, like, very I think nat- every- it's very naturalistic, but yeah, there's a functioning narrative throughout all of these films. All the ones that I've seen, at least. Like Sweet Sixteen is oh, Sweet Sixteen is probably my favorite as well. Um, I just have, I've seen it twice, and I, I have I just recall just being blown away by it both times. Particularly the ending is so fucking potent; it's crazy, you know. But like one thing that um, so I watched Land and Freedom with. Um, with Belen. And one thing that she just could not watch it because she found the non-actors too distracting. And it the struck Spanish me. The Spanish ones? Yeah. The Sp- Some of the Spanish actors are very bad, <laughs> but it didn't bother me. Yeah, but this is what, but like, right, so. But I'm not probably, a native Spanish speaker, as should be noted. My version of that is, I suppose, like, in Win the Chicks, the Barley, just, there's, they're all normal people except for Killian Murphy and a few other people. They're all just normal people just that he found in where, wherever he was filming. And, like, I suppose it's kind of a bit like, um, let's say, the prose of Irvine Welsh. You're either with it or very against it. And I've met met both camps, and I think I, it's an instinctual thing. And Belen just could not get on with Land and Freedom. She couldn't tolerate them. She was said, there a specific it, character or point in the film where she was like, ugh? Yes. She said um, when, they're, uh, when they catch the priest... Oh yeah, and then they're having the big meeting around then, or no, not no, not the big meeting. Before even though that, because I love just the before meeting, that. but yeah, we'll get to that. Well, yeah, uh, but she said that she's <laughs> she said it felt like she was watching the life of Brian, um, with <laughs> all the women shrieking and like uh, pointing at the priest and stuff. Yeah, which I suppose does have elements in it. it I, I interestingly that whole, the meeting scene that has definitely become a trope in Ken Loach movies. That's a thing he mm. does. The meeting that explains the plot. They have, they, like, um, oh, by the way, before we even, like, yeah, well, we're, we're on. 
Ken Loach. Where do you stand on looking for Eric? Spoilers, I love it. I really enjoy it. But I know a lot of people have uh, aren't such fans of that film. I liked it. It felt. Is it uh, from a from a play? Is it an adaptation of a stage play? I feel like I'm it might sure. be because it has that kind of feeling to of there's a narrative, but the narrative is being crafted around including the famous person of Eric Cantona and, and his life. But Eric Cantona is brilliant in it as well. Postman. Yeah, he's great. He's, he was a good. I mean, he wanted to be an actor very early on. I remember because he was just. I mean, he's French. Ah, he's just charismatic as fuck he's as extremely, well, you know? He was, always was. There's that famous goal that he scored where he just kind of stood around. He just, like, like he was yeah, in yeah. awe of himself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The most I can't arrogant believe this. thing yeah, I've yeah, ever yeah. seen, but it was brilliant. And everyone was like, yeah, it makes sense. It's Eric Cantona. Well, no, I just actually looked it up, and no, it wasn't based on anything. So I presume Paul Laverty just came to Eric Cantona and was like, do you fancy doing this? And Eric Cantona went, oh, well, uh, fuck yes. Uh, <laughs> I would absolutely love to do that. Like, it's very quotable as well. You know that part where uh, your man asks him um, what his favorite moment in his career was? And uh, he starts naming all these goals. And uh, then uh, oh, myself and my mate used to quote this all the time. He goes, uh, no, it was not the goal. It was a pass to win against Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> that used to just be something that we would shout at each other randomly in beer gardens. <laughs> we, we'd like one of somebody just goes, "No, it was a pass to win against Spurs." Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I'm a, a, a huge fan of that movie. It's got um, some real moments of like peril and danger as well, and I love I Daniel Blake. I haven't seen his. Um, I haven't seen his uh, his latest one, I think, is a, a hack job on zero-hour contracts, but I'm sure, you know, you're in for good company. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that either. I'm trying to think, oh, there was another one I wanted to see, which is Root Irish, which is about... Jimmy's Hall. Uh, ...contractors in Iraq. Oh, I haven't even heard of that. It's not an Irish thing. It's called Root Irish. Okay, okay. No, 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 I haven't heard of that. But it's like, uh, I remember I watched a, a documentary that was narrated by Jared Butler. There was a similar thing. It was about these kind of like big contract companies, you know, private, private security yeah. contractors, military contractors who were going into the, or just after the Gulf War, like those kind of green zone years. It seemed like I an interesting time. I suddenly have, I feel like... Yeah, aren't you? You know that movie? Have you the Angels share? That's a Ken Loach movie, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, Ken Loach did it. I mean, uh, no, I've seen that. The Scottish ones, yeah, I haven't seen that. I never watched iPhone Kiss or whatever it's called. That was the I other would... sort of interracial Glaswegian romantic comedy thing. I remember having a great time with the Angels share. I went to see that in the cinema with a maid years ago. Yeah, the Angels yeah, share yeah. just looked a bit too kind of like twee tar- tartan tartan twee. <laughs> It looked like they're yeah. going to be like, oh, hi, will we make all the whiskey over here? Well, that's one thing with, um, that's one thing it's very difficult to get past in uh, the wind that shakes the barley. Uh, like there's, you're talking, I mean, okay, you're from Scotland, so I'm sure there's people like this. But there are people in Ireland that are, and I apologize to the Irish people listening, there are people in Ireland that are made out of potatoes. And they're all in the wind that shakes the barley, all of them. And the thing yeah, is, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. And it's what Ken Loach does, and it works. There's yeah. particularly there's an old lady who like refuses to leave her house uh, 
and even though her daughter's begging her to because the British are going to come back and burn her out and she the the woman goes I live in the chicken coop and it's just like I've met that lady I've met that (laughs) stubborn old Irish lady but like the thing is in it also you've got uh, well you've got Killian Murphy you've got um, the Onion Knight himself Liam Cunningham yeah 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 yeah. Uh, you have an Irish actor well enough renowned called um, Paulrick Delaney who's been in some stuff internationally but the point there's like the point is is they are it's like with we said it before with um, The Lobster when Colin Farrell is next to that uh, blonde lady who everybody fancies and you immediately are like ah you're a Hollywood actor and you're nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's that in yeah, with the chicks yeah. the barley because it's just the, like even Killian Murphy doing his extremely native Cork accent he's from Cork like but I mean and the Cork accent is difficult to decipher even for Irish people but still it's just like oh there's star power there's star power there's the potatoes I'm being so terrible that is terrible um, but, but it, it is like what it is and I love the movie I love it at least that doesn't happen in uh, Land and Freedom because Ian Hart just looks like he just looks like some random Scouse guy. <laughs> He's turned up. Yeah, and <laughs> he does he's not like look the, like a movie star. There's one part in it where um, he says, uh, and this made me laugh out loud just because it's such a great line to get one into a, a Scouse accent. He goes, "I'd murder a, a cabbage and ribs." <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, but he does still stand out against the locals as being the only actor there. I would say say it's him and the American guy are the only yeah. actors in it. That guy from the U.S. who plays Lawrence, he's like far and away. He's like that guy looks like a real actory actor. It's like this guy does have a bit of an aura around him. Yeah, which is why he wins at the end. Exactly, that's right. Long live Stalin, long live Stalinism, long so live how the much, party. Before we get to cast, how much do you know about the Spanish Civil War, or have you known before? I, so, I lived in Spain for nine years. The Spanish, and I've visited so many Spanish Civil War sites, and I've seen some museum exi- uh, exhibitions and things like that, but like, it's every time I go to the Wikipedia page, there's a number of times in my life I've gone to the Spanish Civil War Wikipedia page and I find it so overwhelming. Every single time I go there, I'm like, fucking hell. There's like four million factions on each side. Yeah. And it just looks like the biggest clusterfuck of a war. I mean, it's like the dress yeah. re- dress rehearsal for the Second World War. But like the the way the lines were drawn and everything that happened on the Republic side, which we get some insight into in Land of Freedom, you're just like, this is so fucking sad. Yeah. And well, like, I mean, it's microcosmic, comparable with the American Civil War, which is my favorite war. Like, it's just microcosmic to like, you know, a greater struggle that was happening. Like, well, no, actually, like, I mean, in the American Civil War, you had basically you know, the struggle within the fucking human soul, basically. It's all being played out there. Uh, and then in the Spanish Civil War, you basically had everything that's ever happened between left and right, ever, ever. <laughs> just the right getting their shit together and the left just fucking, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's like overwhelmingly sad. I read a book about um, the Spanish Civil War. It's called The Spanish Civil War. It's by Hugh Thomas, which was a very good explainer. Um, on it and it did, like if if this doesn't give it validity nothing will like David Simon has had a show in development about the Spanish Civil War for years 
because it's a fascinating conflict. It is like Irish people fought on both sides of the war. The I, I Irish that they mostly fought for the nationalist side for pro-church reasons. Uh, well, it was yeah. So it was a kind of a basically you people from the evil bastard. <laughs> hey man, we had a lot of people in the we had a lot of people in the Repu- Republican side uh, too. Yeah, one I saw him in this film. That was him. Hey, that was a one now, guy, and he was an actor. What Coogan? <laughs> yeah, he's the one guy. Well, he was the, like I mean, I like I kind of lost interest uh, the second the Irish guy with the Spanish girlfriend died. I was just like, man, what's I the point? I did see elements of him. In you or you in him, I was like, yeah, I could see that. This is definitely Donica's modeled himself on this guy. But after when, when I, spoilers for Land of Freedom, <laughs> when, when uh, Coogan gets shot, he starts to turn really white. And then it was at that point, that's when his peak Irishness came back just before that. <laughs> no, we're pink, man. What are you tan. talking about? We're pink. But yeah, you wore pink, but then he went white. He went super Irish and then died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before going the way of the children of Lear. His, he reached his final form. Yeah. Just before death. But um, yeah, no, we had people on both sides. We had the blue shirts. We had people like Frank Ryan on the left. guys on both sides. <laughs> something happened i'm just saying six millions an awful round number all right um but well, that's, no, it's, that's, it, some, that's something important to think about when we talk about ken loach i i went and, and picked out a ton of the accusations against him of like uh, anti-semitism, anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. there's so yeah. many there's so 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 many I think the kind of boat has tipped at this point, just this year, in fact, on mm. calling people anti-Semitic if they're against Israel. I think uh, I think the, the last hands of that game have been played at this point. But uh, anyway, yeah, I ended up reading this book because, OK, well, they don't speak English, so whatever. But I, like Belen's family, <laughs> uh, I, like my <laughs> they're a big bunch of right wingers. I wondered who uh, you were talking about when you introduced that. They don't speak English, the Spanish people. They're a big bunch of right-wingers, and one of the things that they would often throw in in your face is like, well, if uh, Franco hadn't won the Civil War, Spain would have been a communist country. And I instinctually kind of went, just because of my, you know, I'm interested in the tides of history, I kind of did some mental mathematics, and I was like, no, that's a bunch of horseshit. Um, And they were like, no, no, it's true, it's true, it's true. And this is actually the reason I ordered and read the book to come to my conclusions. And it is a bunch of horseshit. Uh, because it, but it's like a kind of a right wing answer to things. Bec- but the re- like the thing is, the communists are the real reason. Like the left didn't stand much of a chance of winning anyway. But the like the, basically the Stalinists. only reason the, they they made it quite a bit of headway, and that's the only reason that Hitler sent over five thousand SS com- uh, troops to train, not to even fight, to train. And then Franco's troops were completely reinvigorated, and they plowed over them. And the Soviets gave a load of money, just um, swung swung their dicks around the place. But really, they were quite non-constructive. Their weapons were faulty and Soviet troops were famously not that well trained and they didn't really train the armies that well. So they just started all the infighting. So really, the Soviets were the reason that they definitely lost, even though the war went on for such a length by that point that they were going to lose anyway. So it's a stupid thing to say. But the thing is, the fact that we can have this amount of discussion and reasoning about it just does go back to the point that, yeah, it's a really interesting fucking war. Wait, so you're saying that the communists wouldn't have taken over in that case if they'd what do you beaten mean? the nationalist side? Well, because you're, isn't your, no. your, your in-laws, aren't they saying that, like, well, it's good that Franco won 
Otherwise, the Stalinists would have come in and made Spain a communist country. But well, the Stalin, the Stalin. Well, a the Stalinists are the reason that they lost the war. So yeah, you've got that paradox to deal with. But b it's very unlikely that Russia would have been able to continue supporting Spain as an ally through the through the Second World War. Mm. It's just it's extremely unlikely, especially with Nazi France just above them. I think and and Germany attacking from that end. I think they would have given up of that. Germany had control of the Mediterranean Sea. That's the general feeling, you know. Um, but sure, you never really know in that case. But that would be my feeling and the feeling of some other historians that I've read whose opinions I stole. So there. Fair play. Yeah. I do I feel like we have had the conversation at times about in Spain it feels like it sometimes it feels like there's like a lack of art or artistry that perhaps they were they were driven out <laughs> or executed. What by and Spain by never fascism. Really recovered. Yeah. Yeah. I well I do think they definitely they missed an awful lot of uh, cultural revolutions for sure. Uh, evol- evolutions evening, but I think particularly in terms of um, film production, I think they're getting places. They're making strides. The thing yeah, is, as well, I watched that film Mirage last the other week. That was good. I liked it. Well, the thing is, as well, is like I, I'm not huge on the Almodovar films, right? Which, but like to give credit, and I, there was a time I was, and there are some I cer- certainly like, but uh, at the same time, you know, you can ha- you can reach your filler with those very quickly. But I mean, to give him credit, he would be an awful, like melodrama is something that people very much associate with Spanish cinema. And it's all because of him, because he was the only one to kind of emerge internationally, because most of what was going on here for years were just like the worst comedies you've ever seen in your life. Um, and there's good ones here and there as well. There are like my favorite Spanish film. I th- I think it's an amazing film. It's called uh, Los Lunas al Sol. Mondays in the Sun. The first Torrente is good. I'll maintain that. <laughs> I think the first Torrente is a good movie. I do. I do. Gen- Santiago I'm not, I'm Segura. Not, yeah, yeah. And and I think his uh, he did a film as well called uh, uh, Dia de la Bestia, which I quite enjoy as well. Okay. Um, but most Spanish comedies are awful arse, like just very very bad. Um, comedies are i mean in fairness like comedy is 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 something that doesn't (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't transcend international borders i mean if a country likes big physical comedy and fart jokes who are we to argue they're right but anyway yeah they are kind of making some strides in certain directions and uh yeah but i mean as far as making an honest film about uh, the spanish civil war they're still a world away from that i would imagine Luckily, we've got a fucking uh, fucking Lochi old boy to do that for us. Kenny Loach. And this one was written by Jim Allen, who wrote Hidden Agenda. And it gives an insight into the Marxist Workers Party. I, I didn't really know an awful lot about this. I mean, have you read any of like uh, like George Orwell's, yes. what is it, an ode? And an homage to Catalonia. To homage to I read Catalonia. that. I read that yeah. this year. Yeah, I um, felt like you would have. That seemed like the type of thing I would expect you to read. That's good. I mean, you yeah, know, no, I jo- imagine it is. George Orwell is one of those important writers who's actually you know he's good to read as well. You know, and that's a good book. And it's very it, there's it's quite interesting. Like there's a there's a part in it where he returns from being injured and his wife. Uh, comes to him in the lobby of this hotel and says basically yeah you need to get out of here now because they've changed a few things and they're going to kill you 
and you can go to that hotel. I've been there in, in Barcelona before. It's, you know, it's a good book. Is that the same hotel that we see in this film in Land and Freedom? Is, that, is sure. that the same situation? So. Is that not the same thing of like the when the infighting in Barcelona between the communists and the and the Pumas? Yes, that would be, that's the passage of the book that that's right. sort of lifted from. When he went back to Barcelona, it gets all chaotic. I saw where that was. It's like down in the down in Born, the mm. one in the film at least, Carrera de las Trompetas. Yeah. So uh, you got much to tell me about the cast of this damn thing? I certainly do. Oh, let me say this. First of all, Ken Loach's son, Jim Loach, is also a film director. He's made two feature films, Oranges and Sunshine and Measure of a Man. Oh, Never wow. Are they them. any good? No, yeah, supposedly. Either. Yeah, supposedly quite well received. But more importantly, he directed three episodes of Save Me 2. Hmm. The second okay. season of, of the TV show Save Me. I can dig that. And he came out of Ken Loach's ball sack. Very nice. So the cast of the film, first of all, we've got Ian Hart as David Carr. Liverpudlian actor Ian Hart has played John Lennon three times on film Jesus. and TV. Is that just one of those things, like, if your scouts are like, well, you can play John Lennon and maybe George Harrison. And if, maybe. And if you're from Scotland, you can play Adolf Hitler. What does that mean? Well, Robert Carlyle did it. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Robert, uh, Robert Carlyle has also played John Lennon, as I think we've discussed. One of the three times Ian Hart played John Lennon was in 1994's Backbeat. Have you watched that? No, I have not. Have you? No, but I remember when it came out and uh, Stephen Dorff was getting slammed for his English accent playing Stuart Sutcliffe. I'm Steve? not a big... What? Go on. I was going to say, I'm not a big Beatles fan. I feel like you are. Yeah, I... Yeah, I like not only do I, um, you know, respect them, um, which I'm sure they appreciate, but uh, yeah, I really enjoy yeah, listening to the ones. Beatles. You're you're a man who loves a chorus. Yes, you I love do. A, I love a, a chorus. poppy chorus. I love a pop song. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think Backbeat might be up your street, although I did get heavily shit on at the time. Backbeat might be up my street. Yeah. But the fire in my heart is out. Street. Yeah. Exactly. Hart has had a long and illustrious career appearing in films such as Michael Collins, the Irish Braveheart, as it's known. Yes. Harry uh, Potter second, and the Philosopher's Stone and Finding Neverland. Okay, okay. Uh, so Michael Collins, he plays someone called Joe Riley, I'm going to say? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know a, that time. Who's a fictional character. He plays Professor Quirrell in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Who does he play uh, in Finding Neverland? I've never seen Finding Neverland, even though I've heard it's quite good. I think he plays Arthur Conan Doyle, actually. Sir yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle. Apparently it is good. Um, yeah, I like Finding Neverland. Neverland. I liked it with Johnny, Johnny Deep. He also appeared in the Michael Mann, David Millich, HBO series Luck with Dustin Hoffman. Which I still that? haven't seen. No. Yeah, me neither. I wish, maybe we should do like a watch along of that. It got cancelled because of animal cruelty concerns. Three horses were killed during production. Yeah, which, I mean, normally I would be there for that alone, but... Yeah, no, no, like no. that. I would demand that. I hope they kill three horses per show at HBO. Well, I remember because I've had it. Uh, I, I've had it on my list for so long, and then a while ago I was reading about uh, its creator, uh, also the creator of Deadwood and um, mm, yeah, NYPD Milch. Blue, David Milch, and he's such an interesting character. Like he was super successful early in life, and he like, but he is mad into horse racing and gambling and stuff mm. like that, and he's 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 burned through like hundreds of millions, uh, like down at the track. So and like you know. Deadwood is such a nailed-on classic, you know, that I just thought... And, you know, also, he helped um, what, the creator of True Detective out with the third series of 
brought that back a bit of recognition and brought that Stephen Dorff. Uh, oh, actually. yeah, that's right. But, um, yeah, yeah, I just think Milch is an interesting character. Unfortunately, now he's got uh, Alzheimer's and he's not going to be working oh, anymore. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that, that, uh, that's familiar. Yeah, so maybe we'll finally check out Locke. And it's got Ian Hart in it, which is good. This is the level of the trivia for uh, a Ken Loach film cast, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they're all fucking normal like, people. He was in other stuff. You seen that? That's it, essentially. We've got Rosanna Pastor, who plays Blanca. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the 2002 Goya Awards. I think we remember that. For her role as <laughs> Doña Elvira in Juana la Loca. You seen that? Yeah. Mm, Juana la Loca. In 2015, she ran as a candidate for left-wing party Podemos, representing a constituency in her native Valencia. Ah. She's all political. Did she win? I think she was elected on a party list or something. I think she, I don't know if she's still currently a sitting member of the Spanish parliament, but I saw an article written by her in El País in the newspaper because uh, Ken Loach went back to the town where they filmed Land and Freedom 25 years later. So it must have been like last year or something. That must get you like huge brownie points with Podemos. I've been in a Ken Loach film. Yes, this is because I'm sure... That political party are the type of people who will sit around and emulate the town hall scene from the film. Like, that's what I imagine all of their meetings are like. I know somebody um, who uh, joined Extinction Rebellion for a time, and uh, she was a big-time environmentalist, and she still is, but she just couldn't hack that shit because, um, yeah, no leadership, all voting. Next up, we've got uh, the beautiful Tom Gilroy, who played Lawrence. Tom Gilroy's Wikipedia entry is one of those that feels heavily like he wrote it himself as a makeshift CV. Oh, I like those. Me too. I've got big respect. This is, this is how it starts. Tom, it Gilroy, right Tom Gilroy is a New York-based interdisciplinary artist. Focusing mainly on feature films, he has worked as a director, writer, actor, producer, playwright, poet, musician and teacher the full garth Marenghi treatment yeah yeah he's a di- bit of a Plus david actor. brent yeah he collaborated with michael stipe on several projects he's also directed one feature film 1999 spring forward which is quite highly rated it's a 7.5 on imdb and it stars campbell scott Liev schreiber and friend of the show ned squeal like a pig beatty land and freedom co-star ian hart also appears in the film in spring forward yeah, but this guy, Tom ah. Gilroy, like he's done a lot of stuff with Michael Stipe and he's done some REM, some REM bits or in, as they're called in Spain, REM. REM, yes, indeed. Mm. So he's had a few REM jobs over his life. Hey, oh. All right. Oh, all right. All right, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine he did write so this himself. Slight delay. Slight delay. Next up, we've got Ithiar Boyain playing Maite. Lutz chose her be- for the role of Maite due to her red hair, which is fairly uncommon in Spain, as you can testify. Does that, do, how do people react to your hair, Donica? Do they think do they, hmm. they treat you like a king? Well, like, I always get the sense I'm noticed. Always. Wherever I go. Uh, like, I remember one time I was ordering a chicken there a few weeks back, and... Uh, the lady was having trouble uh, figuring out my name from me saying it, so I was spelling it out for her. 
And then uh, the guy behind me in the queue just goes, uh, I just uh, write down it's for the Geary. And he, he looked at me like, eh, it was funny. I was like, nah, yeah, fuck you. Have you ever thought about just changing your name to Don? No, fuck that. Okay, fair play. All right, that's right. Stay strong, stay true to your roots. Don't let them grind you down. The bastards. Mm-hmm. Boyain's acting career was quite limited. However, she did go on to become a very celebrated director. Her most noted film, uh, I thought, was uh, Tambien la Lluvia with Gael Garcia Bernal. Gael Garcia she directed Bernal. that? Mm-hmm. Gael Garcia Bernal, who appears in M. In Night old. Shyamalan's Old. She directed that? She did. And it was That's written, a good movie. By, written by Paul Laverty. Her husband, her houseband, Paul Laverty. Ah, I see how he ended up getting in the Lodge camp. Son yeah. of a bitch. Uh, uh, even the ra- also, even even the rain is, is quality. Even, yeah, Have you ever even seen the it? rain. That's right. It's called even the rain. No, I I, I remember. Uh, have you read I was what in, it's about? I, w- I was living in Spain when it came out, and I remember seeing Paul Laverty on a Spanish talk show and being like, "Oh my God, there's a there's a Scottish guy who can speak Spanish. That's weird. That's weird. Sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> He's very sexy in Land and Freedom. <laughs> He's the- <laughs> He's not, in case you haven't seen the film. Sorry, um, Paul Laverty. Yeah, no, no, no. It's about a, a Spanish film crew going over to, I don't know, Guatemala or some shit. Um, <laughs> Which is really <laughs> disrespectful. <laughs> that it's, was it's quite def- disrespectful. <laughs> is, it, is it Central America or South America? <laughs> it's funny that you're talking about this while it sounds like you have the worst cocaine habit on record. <laughs> Oh my god! I, ju- I like, <laughs> you know that uh, Louis C.K. gets disturbed when, like, he's talking to a doctor about his grandmother. He says uh, she's probably got a bunch of tumors in her head. I swear to God, he almost said fucking head. He almost said she probably got a bunch of tumors in her fucking head. No way. Uh, yeah, I ju- I do genuinely think it's Guatemala, and uh, they're making a film about Christopher Columbus arriving and torturing the natives, ah, the and hero. it all gets uh, mixed up with. Um, a dispute in the actors union so like life imitating art and it's it's really good i recommend it genuinely okay it's a good movie. yeah i'm sure it's good i do i i have respect for her i got respect for her she wrote a book about ken loach in 1996 the year after she worked with him in land and freedom so finally we've got her husband paul laverty they met on the set of the film but uh paul laverty played a militia member the world's, he's just, he's very Scottish. He's very Scottish in it. But Paul Laverty was born in India to an Irish mother and a Scottish father and grew up in Wigton in Dumfrieshire in the south of Scotland. On a random Wikipedia deep, deep dive, I was looking at the Wigton page, as one does, and I found one other call it friend or connection. Another notable resident of the town was Helen Doily Cart, wife of Richard Doily Cart. What's the connection? Go on. They were characters in Topsy Turvy. Oh, wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. There you go. Yeah, so Helen Doily Cart. Richard Doily... You remember the remember Richard Doily Cart in Topsy Turvy, right? Uh, who's he played he by? He was like the show, the, the show producer. Some English actor, probably. Uh, Jim Broadbent, no? He was the show producer guy. No, no, no. No, because he was Gilbert. No, it was the, ah, the guy yes. who no, no, was no, giving no, no, the no, money no. to put on the show. Yes, 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 yes. Him, yes, that I'm was Doily Cart. Cool, cool. So anyway, his wife was from Wigton, which is where Paul Laverty's from. There you go. Very nice. It's, Very I mean, nice. this is the level of this is the level of trivia that I had to go to. Is like clicking on Paul Laverty's hometown and going, I wonder how I can somehow tie this into something that we've previously <laughs> seen or anything. 
Laverty is a pretty uh, intense background. He obtained a philosophy degree at the Gregorian University in Rome while studying for the priesthood at the Pontifical Scots College. Thereafter, he obtained a law degree at Strathclyde Law School in Glasgow. During the mid-1980s, he travelled to Nicaragua and lived there for almost three years. And he worked for a Nicaraguan domestic human rights organisation which provided hard evidence of human rights abuses during the war. Between the elected Nicaraguan government, the Sandinistas and the United States backed Contras. He basically spent a lot of time in war zones. He traveled widely in El Salvador during its civil war and Guatemala too. So maybe it was Guatemala from uh, Tambien La Lluvia. Basically, he has been involved in human rights and uh, civil disputes and conflicts throughout the world and kind of reporting on those. And that is what fueled his interest in becoming a screenwriter after working with ken loach on land and freedom he uh was the screenwriter on loach's next film carla song which was informed by the time he spent living in nicaragua and it stars uh, robert carlisle aka hitler (laughs) aka hitler well i mean i always like to hear that slash john lennon as with Sterling Hayden and Timothy Carey, I like to hear people who had a big fat life before they got involved in show business. Yes, because at the point in Land and Freedom, Paul Laverty was like about my age almost. He's like late 30s. Who is he in the film? He's the bald fella, is he? He's a, he's a balding Scottish man who's like, I think we need to, we need to pure fuck it. Why? That's not how he speaks, but that's how I interpret his character. We need to pure get rid of these fucking Stalinist cunts, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's more or less what he says. We need to pure work together, man. Collectivize all our shite likes. <laughs> I, I, I know where they live. So Ethiar Boyain and uh, Paul Laverty live in Edinburgh. They reside in Edinburgh in a nice house in a Have nice part house? of the city, as you would hope. Yeah, I've seen it. I know where they live. I know where they live. I know where you guys How do you know live. That? I don't want to reveal my sources, but let's just say it was Google. The film's narrative unfolds in a long flashback, which I think is quite funny that the uh, granddaughter is reading, reading all letters. these letters and it seems to be like, and then I fucked her. I fucked, I fucked <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. She's fucking dirty, man. Fucking, <laughs> you won't fucking believe the shit she did, Kit. Kit. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, who is Kit? So the, the, it's his bird. Is in relation to, this, that is bang out of order. I was yes. hoping it was like a sister or something. No, Not no, his it's girlfriend. his lady. I'm out here, I'm out here fucking Barcelona, Barcelona. With this bear, fucking, the birds are fucking, fucking crazy. Fucking here, Spanish birds, man. Fucking beautiful. Yeah, anyway. so it seems a little awkward uh, for the granddaughter. But anyway, so David Carr has died at an old age and his granddaughter discovers old letters, newspapers and other documents in his room. What we see in the film is what he had lived. This is a very strangely written plot synopsis. Carr, a young employed worker, a member of the Communist Party, leaves Liverpool and travels to Spain to join the international brigades. He crosses the Spanish border in Catalonia and coincidentally ends up enlisted in a PUM militia. PUM. What is it? It's like Partido Obreras. I don't know. Point being that they're militia. So it's the the Marxists. They're the Marxists. Well, well, I mean, sure. I mean, the International Brigade would have been as well. In but their would name, been... in the title, but Pum are Marxists. That's the that's what it is. It's like the Marxist Workers Party. 
commanded by Lawrence in the Aragon front. So the film is shot around Teruel in the middle of nowhere. Where they filmed it is in a tiny, tiny town with about 130 inhabitants. That's where you get the the priest scene and the, the town hall scenes. I interviewed a camera operator on this film years ago. He directed his own film set in <laughs> set in Guatemala uh, called The Golden Cage. And uh, he no. got his start as a camera operator on Land and Freedom. He said he learned an awful lot from Ken Loach, which actually comes across in his film The Golden Cage, which is about some teenagers trying to make the journey from Guatemala to the United States. It's a good movie. I interviewed the I interviewed the key grip on this film. And I have well, his house. What? I have his home address. <laughs> I, I, for, I asked him, I said, what is a key grip? And he said, I don't know. I it's carrying like, stuff, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, it's gripping. You need to be able to grip. I think it might be a, uh, some form of electrician or something. But anyway. So yeah, David Card joins up with the Poom in this company, as in all Poom militias. Men and women, such as the young and enthusiastic Mighty, fight together. The Republic side lost, but as soon as I saw that they were taking a vote on all the decisions and men and women could fight together, I was like, yeah, you guys, I can see why you died. I see why you, you <laughs> lost this war. Because the big, evil, disciplined people who are ready and willing to use, uh, use old women as human shields, I'm like, these guys are the winners. Yeah, the that's ones how you who win. are going to cut off babies' arms. A pile of baby's arms. The genius, like a diamond bullet. <laughs> the, the, I saw the will of those men. I thought, like, I can't do it. Yeah, you can do a better one than me. A better Brando. I saw a slug on the edge of a razor. Yeah. Ate some spaghetti. Nice. In the following weeks and months, he becomes friends with other foreign volunteers like the Frenchman Bernard and the Irishman Coogan. I don't know what accent I was going to do there. Coogan. <laughs> And the latter's girlfriend, Blanca, with whom David Carr later falls in love. So they, they had that scene where the whole group of them, including Maite, trick David into thinking that Blanca's a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> just a beat. Played out, it played out quite nicely. It, it yeah, didn't yeah, play yeah. out. Because he comes back and he's like, you fucking, you shower bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, I mean, I presume they say, oh, this comes from Liverpool. He wants to be fucking hookers. <laughs> And they just go, yeah, she's a hooker over there, yeah, man. Yeah, the Irish guys with the prostitute, obviously. And you're you're from Liverpool, which is England's version of being Irish. So you'll be in the same thing. Yes. Okay. Glasgow is Scotland's Ireland. <laughs> and Liverpool is England's Ireland. Where's Spain's just put Ireland? That together now. Oh, Galicia, of course. Vigo, yeah, somewhere up there. A Coruña. Any road. A Coruña. David Carr falls in love with Blanca. She's also a member of the Poom and also the ideologue of his group. She is a, what I would call a manic revolutionary dream girl. <laughs> so it's similar to the pixie dream girl, but with slightly more Marxist-Leninist content. I, I, I think it's a fair observation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the next, there is a huge fucking gap in this plot synopsis. So, okay, I would say the next, the major events that they go through, first of all, they take over this town. They go in and fight against the nationalists, and this is the priest scene. Yes. They capture the priest. 
and the priest had informed on some local guys. The local guys were anarchists, and the priest handed them over. He informed the fascists. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, the anarch. That's what another one of the right wing answers that you'll hear in Spain is that the anarchists burnt a bunch of churches. What do you think of the um, the action and the taking of the town? It's fine. It's done in that kind of naturalistic Ken Loach way. It's, mm. it's, I've seen worse. I've seen yeah. worse from like proper big budget uh, war films. So yeah, yeah, it worked for me considering it's like 10 people in a tiny town in Spain. you got a sense of geography and everything. It's yeah. all very clear and it's done in that naturalistic style. It made I me think I ought, I ought to watch um, Che again because I remember the battle at that, in the finale of that is very good. Che. That's the one yes. about Michael Che, the New York stand. The one about Michael Che, yes, and how he got yeah. onto SNL. <laughs> SNL, great. He, wait, so it, it, that's in two parts, isn't it? The, is that the, the Soderbergh yeah. Che? Right. The first, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I might just say, uh, don't bother. Okay. <laughs> you listen, if you tell me not to watch a film, I'm not the kind of person who's like, well, maybe I will. I'm like, okay, I, that's one off the list. I never need to watch that ever again, so or ever at all, rather. Um, yeah, so also in this scene, this is when Coogan, Coogan gets shot. The Irishman gets gunned down. Is David responsible for Coogan's death? He hesitates and doesn't want to hand him a cartridge because Coogan is going to shoot at two fascist guys who have come out of a church using old ladies. I don't know how mm. old the ladies were. Using ladies as human shields. And David's hesitant to give him cartridges for his rifle because... He's worried that Coogan is just going to blast through the ladies. But but Coogan's not fascist. He probably wouldn't have done that. But anyway, no. while uh, while David is hesitating, Coogan is sniped. Oh, and and uh, he, he Hart is, is like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Coogan's out no, of the picture now. Oh, no. Freddy died screaming like right. a stuck Irish pig. What's that, What's that from? <laughs> Departed? Sounds like The Departed. Well, the, ma- the, the, the Irish man who died was speaking in a Scottish accent for most of the film. Uh, the Untouchables? Yeah. It's what uh, Frank Nitti says. Friend died screaming that, no, like a stuck Irish pig, and then he gets thrown off of the roof. Where's Nitti? He's in the car. We'll do the whole Untouchables. They Let's leave some of ours in the hospital, we fuck some <laughs> of theirs in the ash. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the way I remember it. Classic <laughs> mammoth. It's a classic mammoth writing. <laughs> <laughs> so after they take this town, the next scene we have is uh, the town meeting. I really <laughs> like... I'm going into it. I'm just continuing with the thing. Doo-doo, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doo-doo. Yeah, yeah so this, after the, they, that after scene they, is brilliant. After they take... The, I'm going to do this again. After they take the town, the next scene we have is the is the town hall meeting where all the Poom members are sitting around with locals and they're discussing whether they should collectivize and uh, pull all of their resources together. However, there is a, a local landowner. I guess he's like one of the sort of wealthy peasants is maybe yeah. how he's classed. And he's like, he's explaining very clearly, like, listen, I started with one small piece of land I know how to work the land, so I've built that into slightly more. I don't want you lazy fucking layabouts reaping the rewards of my work because I fucking worked hard. It's and then basically, the general, yeah. It's like he's ba- like I'm sure 
in in Paul Laverty's head when he wrote that bit was um, what happened in the Ukraine with um, Stalin getting all uh, confiscating all the land off the serfs and all killing the, them, and they were Holodomor. Is that what it's called? The big uh, uh, Ukrainian the famine. famine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, I'm sure that that was in his head because it's basic. Like, in a way, it is that. Um, and in another way, it's like it's a conclusion that George Orwell came to in a Road to Wigan Pier when he was like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, you guys don't love the poor so much. You just fucking you just hate the rich and you want to take stuff. I mean, there's always violence involved in it is basically it. It's a really interesting scene, though, and it's well played, even though. There's a really old uh, socialist revolutionary in it, and I was looking at him going, <laughs> I don't think that old guy was a socialist revolution. I think he was just available and in the village. Yeah. I enjoyed the scene a lot. I thought it was excellent. It's the kind of thing where people are giving their opinions and point of points of view, and they're discussing kind of socialist and communist ideas and about how or, or what they should do in order to, to win against the fascists and whether it makes sense to collectivize or how how they can organize themselves to successfully feed the town and then also gain stronger numbers better arms etc it was a i i liked it was a scene where i was like fuck i could watch this for longer than it went on i the spanish actors didn't bother me as a non-native spanish speaker although i i didn't have any subtitles i was which i didn't have subtitles for this film so there was only a problem later on when they got to Barcelona and like the started speaking local Catalan. Catalan guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Catalan guys, I was like, I have no fucking... I just had to like kind of guess what was going on. I realized, oh, my Catalan is almost non-existent. But yeah. So after that, I would say the next important scene... Is this when... Wait, no, Lawrence leaves later? No, so they have the a next... vote. Uh, Lawrence is the American yeah. chap, right? They yeah, have a Lawrence vote as to whether or not they're going to basically submit to Stalinist rule. Right. Whether, the Stalinists yeah. want to organize everything together into one, like the international brigades into a structured organization, which would uh, limit women from fight. Women wouldn't be allowed to fight on the front. They could be nurses. They could be cooks. They could be, maybe they could be fashion designers. Maybe <laughs> they could be, you know, something like that. Could be anyway, artists, uh, but they're yeah, not your allowed man, to fight with guns anymore. Hart and a bunch of other lads vote against it, and um, yeah, that's and then he ends up uh, shooting himself with an old yeah, shitty gun. So he's doing he's his Spanish is not too bad. I was quite impressed. He so David Carr, uh, Hart's character, is training some new recruits in kind of broken Spanish, but not too bad actually. As I say, he's quite impressed. But then he, he, he's teaching him how to shoot. And he's like, you need to like put it back and put, hold this stock against your shoulder and then pull the trigger. And when he does that, it misfires and fucks his arm up royally, which looks the teenagers, rather unpleasant. But I do like... If I might say, the non-actors thing works well for teenagers because teenagers always look yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, They're like gawky and kind of like... <laughs> And then, like the other guy, uh, who's one of the leaders of their of their Pum regiment, like, is like a woman's trade, trade, yeah. You had all this gun like some tits, man. He's like, have you ever you ever seen a girl's tits? And the guy's like, only always, only every <laughs> night, trying to big himself up. Good job. So then, after this, after being wounded and recovering in a hospital in Barcelona, 
He finally joins in accordance with his original plan and against the opinion of Blanca, the government-backed international brigades. So he goes uh, to Barcelona, uh, recuperates in a hospital, and then he meets up with Blanca in an apartment in the middle of Barcelona. And he's like, all right, all right, darling. I'll, have, I'll be messing you. I don't know why he went Scottish for a second. He was supposed to be Scouse, I recall. He, uh, yeah, right, he, he uh, gets his end away. All right. He does. And there's a moment in it uh, where, uh, just from the amount of uh, films I've watched, uh, when she says, uh, do you have any matches? And he says, they're there in my bag. I went, ah, this is the bad thing. The bad thing's coming up. And then she discovers his uniform. And I'm like, yeah, what that's the this? bad thing. Why is this? Why do you have these? Yeah, so she finds out that he's decided to join up with the the Stalinist, Soviet-backed international brigades. And she's like, why you do this? Why you do this, man? That's what she says. It's a direct That is what she says, yeah. And he encounters the Soviet propaganda and repression against Pum members and anarchists. He then returns to his old company, only to see them rounded up by a government unit requiring their surrender. Yeah, so there's a couple of scenes. I, I didn't follow exactly what happened with the young Catalan kids. I think they were just talking shit about the poom, maybe? Yes. In the scene in the bar in Barcelona, he gets really angry with some young Catalan uh, Republic soldiers. And then he's also, he gets in a, a weird standoff that's he's defending communist headquarters. Something like that, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it speaks to the, the how the Republic side was just all of these factions that were fighting against each other. They ended up in, in turmoil uh, where the anarchists were, were, were hated. They weren't trusted. You had the communists and you had this uh, Stalinist element. And then, and of course, the result was fighting. Spain would end up 30 years behind world culture, you know, so. Thanks, go. factions. That's, that's, that's a fact. Thanks, warring that's factions. An opinion. Yeah, so when he goes back to visit his old Pum unit, we see the Republic, basically the um, Stalinist element who are now super organized. They look ready to fight a war, in fairness, those troops that turn up. They look actually disciplined. I would trust them in combat. However, yeah. while they arrest some of the the leaders of the Pum unit, Blanca bizarrely runs towards one of the guys who's holding up his rifle, one of the Pum guys who's holding his gun up, and gets shot. Not good. She's dead. And it's uh, it's sad. I found this film very moving. Did you? Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I really did. At various points throughout it, I, I, was, I got quite, quite, quite emotional. I think just because... It felt like there was something. It's it is really sad. I I genuinely yes. think what happened to Spain. It did set the country back. There's so many people have so many unanswered questions, like families who don't know where yeah. their their fa- you know their relatives are buried. Yeah, four relatives are they still haven't? Yeah, they're, actually, they're still pi- exhuming of, bodies. Little tidbit of information for anybody who doesn't know. This is maybe the most Mister Burns from the Simpsons thing that ever existed. Basically. Uh, Franco had a mass grave in the mountains where they built this gig- a bunch of basically chattel slaves built this tomb for him and then yeah, were this executed. Is the, the valley of the of the fallen. 
Yeah, and then he had himself buried on top of it in the most Mr. Burns move I think I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> For but generations, anyway, yeah, yeah, man bizarre, has longed uh, to destroy the like, sun. Yeah, yeah, there's a, still, there's a lot of people uh, still missing over here. And yeah, it is. It, it is over. It's very sad. It's, it's not good. It wasn't good. No. <laughs> yeah, the Spanish Civil War, not good. Not good. Uh, not a good call friend or official position. What do you think about not the part where they all like uh, where they all do a commie fist pump at the end at the grave? Yeah, so after her funeral, he returns to Great Britain. After Blanca's funeral, David returns to Great Britain with a red ne- neckerchief full of Spanish soil. Finally, the film returns to the present and we see Carr's funeral in which his granddaughter throws the Spanish earth into the grave. After speaking lines from The Day is Coming, a poem by William Morris. Join in the battle wherein no man can fail, for whoso fadeth and dieth, yet his deeds shall still prevail. Afterwards, she performs a raised fist salute, honoring his beliefs. I find all that, yeah, I find that quite moving as well. And when she throws the soil into the into the pours some soil into the grave. If you enjoyed uh, yeah, this yeah, um, this side of Ken through. Loach, I would genuinely say he has just gotten better at making films as his career prese- um, progressed. And uh, I do think The Wind That Shakes the Barley is like a better film to this, but only insofar as Ken Loach got better at the craft. I think generally speaking, he's just... Also, you know, Laverty wrote that, so it could be stronger yeah. because after watching Hidden Agenda... I did get the sense of like, well, Jim Allen was fine, absolutely fine in terms of screenwriting, but I just think Laverty is Laverty has done multiple, multiple, multiple feature films with Loach, which I think are stronger. Yurt. All right. Will you watch the the Wind That Shakes the Barley? I will eventually, if I'm forced to. I, I want to watch you. it. I do want to watch it, but like there again, there's this is why we're doing this podcast. There's just so many things to watch. So there many are. things. Including, what might we run into next week? A comedy, I believe. That's right. Yeah, so this week, the criteria which I laid out was to choose a full-on balls-to-the-wall comedy. I never said that. I just said a comedy. So, I've seen every comedy ever made. That's not true. But I have. I looked through like the list of best of comedies. I've watched a lot of comedies. Um, there's still plenty of good ones I haven't seen. However, I thought it might be more interesting to choose one which might not be the best film ever made. And so I decided to go for a film that we've talked, we've briefly hinted at and mentioned uh, sometime in the last few weeks. And that's 2016's Lady Ghostbusters. Oh, oh, I'm less interested in that. Lady Ghostbusters, that's the official title. Lady Ghostbusters, right. Well, Mm -hmm. I've never seen... National Lampoon's Vacation. And I love okay. Chevy Chase, so I figured it uh, might be about time for that. I hope it's not like one of those ones like Wayne's World that just I missed the boat and that's it. I hope it's still funny. I, I'm always worried about going back to comedies. I might have seen Vacation a long time ago. Is that 1990 or is it earlier than that? I'm not sure. I think it's um, like would have been peak Chevy Chase handsome. 1983 was the first. Ah, uh, okay. The 1983 one, uh, oh, it's, um, okay. 93% positive reviews, Metacritic 55 out of 100. Yes. Cinema score C+. So we're in for a good time either way. Yes. Either way, it's going to be great. Okay. Well, the options are still the same. It's Mecha Warrior or 20. 
I'll go make a warrior. I'm holding my microphone, so I wonder if I can do this one-handed. Let's find out. Yes. It is 20. Oh, no. That means well, wait the a winning minute. film you caught it is like Paul Feig's. Never mind. It's fine. <laughs> I've got one hand. Do you want me to redo it? I'll redo it if no, you want. No, I don't want you to I've redo it. I've got one hand, but I'm going to have to put the microphone down. We had to watch Lady Ghostbusters eventually. We're watching Lady Ghostbusters. Yeah, come on. I mean, it's one of those things. Also, Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming out in a few months. So if you yeah. want to stay fully informed of what's going on in the, <laughs> in the Ghostbusters cinematic universe, the GCU, it's necessary to watch Lady Ghostbusters. All right. Well, and that is my and anything time, I post I, about this film, I'm going to call Lady Ghostbusters. I refuse to use too. any other title than Lady Ghostbusters. Lady Busters. Lady Boys. Lady Busters is yeah, exactly. Um, busty ladies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's my go at criteria then. Yeah, Criterion. We're going to be doing films from the year I was born, 1987. Okay. Got that? 1987, yep. Nice. A great year. Almost as old as I am. Yeah. Exactly as old as I am. Okay. The films of 1987, I'm excited. All right, fucker. That's goodbye for me. I'm going to go get an antigen test, quite honestly. Yeah, I think you should, because you clearly have COVID or else have some kind of cocaine withdrawal symptoms we'll see we'll see all right um goodbye and much love bye